0: I came home one time after a trip and my brother had built me an actual TARDIS in the back, in the, in the basement of the house. Yeah. So it's this nice big blue door um, police call box. It has all of the, the sticker on it. Yeah. And it's nice and big and blue. And, you know, people often ask me, you know, is it bigger on the inside? And I say, well, it's, it's kind of like a closet under the stairs via Harry Potter, but yes, it is totally bigger on the inside because I get to read uh stories uh that take me to to different worlds and planets um so that's my that's my uh third grade answer that i tell all the kids hmm.
1: <laughs> you are listening to geekdom empowers the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and this is Geekdom in Paws. Geekdom in Paws, among other things, follows the personal paths of people who are often not highlighted, but who make up a big part of the geek world. I see Geekdom in Paws as a quilt or a mosaic. I can't decide which is best. A mosaic or a quilt that's slowly being created. A lot of individuals create one big quilt or one big mosaic, ...of the geek world around us. And when I say world, I mean world. Today, our guest is Kate Baker, who is in the center of a lot of things in our geek world. I thought it would be an interesting conversation to talk to her. And it was an amazing conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. So, background. Kate Baker is a two-time Hugo Award-winning podcast director uh, and non-fiction editor for Clark's World magazine... She's narrated over 550 audiobooks, short stories, and poems. And she's the executive director of the SFWA, the science fiction fantasy writers of America. This interview is both fascinating and full of surprises. And the first surprise is, <laughs> uh, is that we didn't get sound uh, in the beginning, which led to Kate's crazy idea. So I'm living in the bit about not getting sound, like it's right, the end bit when we solve it Uh, uh, because we talk about something else as a result. So let's begin with that. Enjoy. Okay, what was it?
0: Um, There are two different audio inputs, and sometimes uh, my laptop is funky and it doesn't actually give me sound. And even though I could hear sound on my computer, Mm -hmm. um, it was still going through a different audio input. So, okay, apologies.
1: but i I really liked your idea of doing this in mine, especially <laughs> because it's a podcast. We should try it. We should there we go. Yeah, hello, like this. Hello, <laughs> nice to meet you.
0: <laughs> nice to meet you too.
1: Um, so I can see your background. This is uh, where this is England, right?
0: It is. Yeah, I'm staying with my partner.
1: It's green. It's almost sunset. Mm-hmm. Well, well lots of clouds, of clouds. <laughs> lots of clouds. There you go. it's very nice. I have the darkness outside
0: no, it oh, yeah it's it's I think the sun is probably gonna just set as we talk, so mm-hmm. if it gets too dark or if things get kind of weird, just let me know.
1: that'll be interesting uh to see we'll do it. We'll do a fasting
0: in mind <laughs>
1: uh so listen i I first came across your name uh, mm-hmm. in. Uh, a podcast I, I, like uh, i think it was oh, at Speed, i think reading uh reading a story mm-hmm. reading a short story and doing a perfect like there was a japanese character there and you did a perfect uh, uh there's some words there uh, yeah in language and I, that was it sounded perfect to mine thank you you don't <laughs> understand a single uh, word i said who is that and then mm-hmm. I, I looked you up and i said lot of voice stuff and I said, oh she's in the W A too so anyway I thought you were a very interesting person to speak to because Thank this you. podcast this is about people who go find a way to uh, empower themselves through their geekiness
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: so I want I wanted to hear more about uh, your story so, okay like well
0: the year yeah. was 1977, and the Death Star had just been born. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, I've I've always been sort of a geek into uh, science fiction, fantasy. My dad was a big uh, fan of horror, um, and he was always, you know, sharing his love of you know genre fiction with me, um, and then. You know, I I was a big fan of of you know X-Files and Stephen King and you know all those the 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 mainstream media stuff. I was an avid reader. And you know, it it was funny because when I was in high school, I had dreams of being a doctor and I had been accepted into a pre-med program. I was going for pediatrics, and then my life just sort of came to a a big change, and I ended up having a child at a very early age, Mm. um, which changed everything for me um but it also sort of like i had i i sort of stood on the precipice of 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 things and, and was like well i can just sort of be sort of you know do the things that like normal people do or i'm just going to continue to kind of express myself and jump into the in the extraordinary um and I just sort of found myself in new and exciting places because I didn't sort of like pigeonhole myself, like just gave up, oh, I'm not a doctor anymore. But that's a lot of
1: stages, hold on. So that's like you just jumped like 10 stages. So you're a kid and a teenager who loves horror and uh, science Mm -hmm. fiction and uh, Mm -hmm. all the nice uh, TV shows and Stephen King and uh, reading. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what were you inside that? Were you a person that creates that kind of thing? Were you a fan of those? Did you have fan friends?
0: So, um, yeah. Um, so I I was writing when I was like 10. I created all these different sort of stories. Um, writing kind of went away a little bit as I grew older, but I was uh, definitely into drama. I was in drama club. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I was a fan as uh, along with being a creator. Um, and, uh, you know, I found myself, sort of, I never left that, like despite what was going on, you know, as I grew up, um, I've never left the love of all those science fiction, fantasy, and horror genres.
1: And those are like the, the X-File times. Like there mm-hmm. was a pretty big change that happened in the early 2000s and the X-Files are before that. In the geek world, where we started Mm -hmm. to become more accepted. And I think the Marvel movies did a lot of that uh, in 2010. Uh, But at the time, I remember girl fans were really rare. (laughs) It was hard to uh, accept, you know, it was hard for some of the uh, males who were usually uh, socially less uh, able. To accept uh girl fans mm-hmm. basically like the people in uh, the big bang theory seeing a girl walk into the comic book shop like, <laughs> I mean, it,
0: it wasn't that bad mm-hmm. but yes there was there was some prejudice there and it was it was like well you like video games and reading science fiction and and you're, you're kind of weird. Um, but as soon as you sort of like started a conversation with most of the people that I was surrounding myself, it was like, it was awesome because we had things to talk about and we were all fans. Um, but yeah, there was, there was extreme bullying. Like I, you know, Oh, you like star Wars. Oh, oh man. You know, um, I, I remember middle school and high school being kind of treacherous in terms of you know, if you were a geek or considered a nerd, you know, you were the lowest on the totem pole. And if you were a, a woman who was a geek and a nerd, you know, you were far below that even. So yeah, I completely understand that.
1: So you saw that you got around that by having a group of close friends who- Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: yeah absolutely. So we advanced from there to summer in the teens where something changes or a summer? In the
0: yeah, teens- so, I mean, I had all these aspirations of going to a college, uh, I was accepted into a pre-med program um, and then, you know, uh, made some interesting life choices <laughs> and found myself sort of scrambling at 19 with a newborn. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I was I was one of those, those uh, early adults who was like, hmm, so I'm going to, I guess, live with my life choices, but this changes everything for me. Um, so yeah, it, it was uh, definitely a monumental sort of career trajectory thing.
1: I've, I've found, I can't imagine all would what happened to me at age 19 where I'm hardly able to uh, handle myself uh, with a kid. I know that at age 39, when I had my first kid, that got my head straight. Like finally figured out how to (laughs) walk. I figured out how to be responsible, how to behave. Mm -hmm. Responsible. And I I think I'm hearing that's what happened to you. Like basically kind of figured out, okay, I have to do this and I have to do it right. So this
0: Mm
1: is how. uh, Yeah. uh, I
0: was always a caregiver in my family as well. So I matured really, really quickly due to some familial circumstances. So it wasn't, like, having a kid was scary, and, um, you know, I had no idea what I was doing, because I don't give you a manual, right? Um, but, you know, I, I think I, I was okay as a parent, even as a young parent, um, because I had already had, you know, years of taking care of other people. Sure.
1: That's important. Oh, so how did you, how, how then did you move on? Like, what was the next step, I mean?
0: so i ended up working a variety of different jobs um i was uh doing a lot of retail so i was a manager at certain like record record remember records <laughs> record shops um and then they you know progressed to cds remember cds um and then i was like CDs, I'm not so this make new
1: technology of- they're threatening to to take away our records but you know they're, <laughs> they're just a passing fan right, fad. right.
0: Um, but, uh, yeah, it was interesting because I was like, I'm not going to make a whole bunch of money to support me and my child on this. Um, so I branched out and I became office staff for an insurance company in the United States. Um, and then moving on from that, I ended up getting uh, a much, much better well-paid job at a sales company out of Massachusetts, um, in the United States, And then I found my way, like, this was all sort of a blur between all of that because nothing really sort of happened. Like, it was just kind of like daily life. I was just sort of training and honing my skills. And then um, I ended up reading Old Man's War by John Scalzi um, and became a part. He had a Yahoo, remember Yahoo? (laughs) He had a Yahoo uh, community um, and I started becoming um, a regular on that particular board and we just started forming a group. And um, I ended up meeting John at the Heinlein Centennial. Um, And we just started talking, we hung out. um, And then I guess when they were looking for somebody uh, to take over for SIFWA in terms of administrative support uh, because I had told him I had all this experience, um, he called me and that's how I got the job with SIFWA.
1: Interesting. So, yeah. Is that what you call it inside the thing, sefwa
0: so Yeah. So there's a there's kind of a debate with that right now. So some people call it Sifwa. Some call it Sefwa. Uh, um, but it's easier than going the science fiction fantasy writers of America <laughs> every single time. But or SFWA. I yeah. you know I've I'm I'm on the Sifwa camp, but I know um, I think our president right now calls it Sefwa. So it's okay. all dependent on what how you were taught.
1: Well, it's actually it's filled with a lot of smart people, I'm sure. So you you could probably yeah. have like twenty options.
0: Sifwa. Sifwa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah at, at some point when we added the fantasy part into the name, people were calling it Cephwa. <laughs> <we're> like no. <laughs> so they they simplified it and just was like Sifwa or Sifwa. All right.
1: So so you got a job,
0: mm-hmm.
1: a place that basically fits your.
0: Yeah. It was like a dream come true. Um, it, like it it opened so many opportunities. There were times where I was walking to a convention, say in New York city or doing something civil related. And I was like, I just met like, he just wrote a, he wrote a book. She wrote a, she, they wrote a book that I really, really liked. And I just got to meet them and have like coffee with them. Like this is they're paying me to do this. Um, and it was, it was really cool. And I think, you know, CIFIL was going through an evolution at that point where we were changing how we did business. Like we were a trade organization and now we're a public charity. So there was a lot of moving parts and sort of like evolution going on within the organization but it was still like, it was, it is, and I, I said it was, but it is actually one of the coolest things that I've ever gotten to do.
1: are like, um, what is the job? I, I want to get the personal stuff uh, back, but I yeah. do want to, like, I, I don't know anything about how how CIFWA works. So, like, <laughs> so what does your day consist of? My
0: like, day consists of a lot of, well, I make, uh, I help make decisions along with the CIFWA board uh, who are a group of volunteers uh, that get elected by our 2,100 strong membership. Um, and basically we, our mission is uh, it's, it's a couple of things. Um, so, we advocate for writers, and it's not just our members, but for the overall publishing, like the genre industry at large. Um, so we're constantly trying to work with uh, industry professionals to make the landscape a lot safer. Um, you know, equitable uh, writers are ver- are paid very very low mm-hmm. um, by today's standards. Like, I think one of the <laughs> one of the studies and surveys that we did. Um, basically stated that a good majority of our members don't make a living at writing. It's it's you know you you see at the top it's you know the the, the 10% who are really successful and who are pulling in those you know multi-million dollar deals but like a lot of people need uh, secondary income to make their lives work and do writing as you know a hobby or to supplement. So it's like part of our organization's mission to help even the that playing field specifically
1: science fiction fantasy. Yeah. all authors are like
0: that uh, well all authors are like that but like uh, you know ours is definitely a, a carved out sort of uh a place and science fiction tends to pay a little bit less in terms like if you look at overall fiction writers um but our, our genres are are kind of on the, the lower side uh, of that curve um and you know the organization sort of says hey every once in a while let's lift that up a little bit because you, you can't outpace what publishers are willing to pay because then they'll just not pay. Yeah. Um, so it's it's this gentle, even pressure, um, this advocacy, this making it safer, like our writer beware arm of the organization basically calls out people who are predatory um, for industry professionals. Um, so we're, we're moving on multiple different fronts to make the landscape safer um, for a lot of writers.
1: That's interesting. So just in case the writer's listening so yeah. if the writer comes upon someone who seems predatory mm-hmm. should contact you
0: yeah um i on the website you can go to sifla.org forward slash writer beware okay. and there is a bunch of blog posts there's lists of people we find uh, or who have had uh, predatory practices but if you just send us an email at this point and you say beware at cifwa.org um or or use that as the email address uh victoria strauss who runs that particular arm along with uh michael capabianco um and uh they they get back to you immediately
1: you
0: know they'll they'll, it's an invaluable service that we have
1: yeah sounds like it because it's really easy to take care of to take uh Advantage of people who really want to write and just to succeed, and uh, that's a tough one.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting too, like if I can just go on just a little bit more, but the way that publishing has sort of evolved is, you know, Sifwe had always maintained the idea that money should always be flowing toward the writer in the traditional publishing sense. So if you are not going the self publishing route, if you are trying to get published through like a huge publisher, You should never have to pay anything to do that. Like they should take care of everything. So where the predatory practices come in is, you know, uh, a publisher will say, okay, we're really interested in this manuscript. Now give us $2,000 to to publish it. Like that should never happen unless you were actually going the self-publishing route. But the, the main point I was saying is that like, as the publishing industry evolves with how creators create and how they put their work out there, it's become a little bit more difficult um, to sort of just say you should always be paid first <laughs> because um, you know self-publishers often take uh, most, if not all of the burden of making sure that they can release their work. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's been an interesting sort of balancing act to try to serve both the traditional, the hybrid, or all of them. So the traditional, the hybrid and the self-published mm-hmm. model.
1: Yeah, it's uh, and do you deal with just uh, English, the English speaking world or just in general? So
0: the organization at this point has served um members who get published in English, but we are slowly sort of changing that. Uh we introduced a pathway to membership for translators. Uh we're going to be looking at uh incorporating other languages. Um, and we're looking at, you know, it's not going to be US centric. Or focus because we are a worldwide organization mm-hmm. um so we're, we're making small changes to get to that where it's not just going to be an english language or published in english language mm-hmm. organization anymore because writers don't all live here I, <laughs> you know i i'm saying here england no I, they don't just all live in the us they live around the world
1: yeah i get um it's uh it, it is it's one of the early lessons I learned, that, you know, I was there when the internet started. And when the internet started, you couldn't mm-hmm. search for things, you couldn't Google things. <laughs> I found out very quickly that anyone who asks for money, writers shouldn't get, shouldn't get asked for money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and years later, uh, my grandfather became uh, um, an author when he was 17. And my father became an author after me. Uh, and he said, you know, we have this scene. The publisher just says, you know, just pay this little bit. And I said, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. And I was <laughs> able to help it. So I was really happy.
0: Good, good. Yeah, the more knowledge we can help, like give out to the, to, to writers who are just beginning and sometimes even established writers, that gets spread around, you know, mm-hmm. and, and more people uh, can advocate for themselves as well. So I'm glad that you were there to help with that.
1: Good. So, okay, so back to you. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, and basically, like, how much I I imagine, like, I think the the, the most similar thing is kind of like working in Disney or Pixar or something like that. On the one hand, you have your regular job and you have to do a certain amount of things. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you get to experience crazy uh, imagination things uh, as part of your day. Yeah. So like, what is that? Like, can you give me an example of that? Or what is that
0: like? In terms of CIFWA or the narration stuff that I do for- The CIFWA, like, let's get
1: to the narration. Yeah,
0: so I mean, it's, it's kind of neat. We do this, uh, this Nebula conference every year and it started in 1966, like way, way back um, where it was just recognizing outstanding genre work. And one of the cool things um, is I get to help put that together every year um so you know there's story that has evolved you know this this past couple of years we've done uh, it in a virtual environment because of the covid pandemic um but just seeing the creativity that goes into something like that uh is amazing um yeah, part of the sifa job also is to enable um writers to actually do their work and i think that is where the reward for me comes in is if somebody's having trouble say either Uh, you know, with the business side of things, or even if they uh, are needing a little help during the pandemic, we had that COVID fund that would help writers. Um, We also had, um, we have the EMF, which is the emergency medical fund. So if somebody came up or if somebody had like an emergency uh, medical condition and it interfered with their writing, if they remember, they could apply for assistance. So like, it's not, I don't, (laughs) It's interesting because everybody asked me, okay, what are the coolest things that you get to see? And aside from meeting sort of my heroes and heroines of of the genre, I think I get to see how kind of the sausage is made. (laughs) Um, I get to do all the sort of unfun mundane stuff as well. Um, But it's also sort of rewarding when you can help, like the organization does help people. Um, I I don't know if you're familiar with Peter Beagle, Yes. Um, yeah. No, so he was, yeah. So he was having uh, some legal trouble and SIFWA stepped in and helped pay some of his legal bills um, and he was able to win his lawsuit. Oh. And I think for me at the end of the day that like knowing that I'm a part of an organization that is willing to do that and, and reach out and help um, is, is huge. I, I love that. <laughs> that makes me nice. so happy. Um, but uh yeah, no, I've had some really interesting experiences. Um, I, here's a, here's an example, like my second year on the job, I was in Washington DC for the Nebula conference and the ceremony had just ended and Neil Gaiman was in the room. And at that point I had like a tiny, tiny crush on Neil Gaiman. And,
2: oh,
0: uh, no, I'm shocked. Yes. <laughs> so, um, John Scalzi, like we, like he was president at the time and I was doing something and putting something away. And he's like, he's like, Kate, come here. And I'm like, what? And he, he, he offers his hand and I take his hand and like the sea parts, like crowds part for John and I, as we walk and Neil Gaiman is at the end of this, this pathway. And John says, um, I'd like you to meet somebody who is extraordinary and amazing. And he says, Neil, please meet Kate. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, so it was like just a really surreal experience. And I had to sort of keep it together a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was like, very nice to meet you. Are, are you enjoying your, your, your Nebulas, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Gaiman? <laughs> um, I quickly got over that though, um, because I will tell you that meeting all of the people who, you know, I've, I've got on bookshelves, um, you just realize that at the end of the day, they're just kind of normal people. Um, so the Starstruck fangirl like still exists, but n- is not nearly as like <gasps> um as I was when I first started.
1: The thing is that everyone
0: has someone,
1: the Starstruck by no matter how big you
0: are, like mm-hmm.
1: I'm sure Neil Gaiman has someone, and that yeah. someone has someone, and whoever it is, they're usually older than you. So at some point, you know, <laughs> right? Dead. but um. But everyone has someone like that completely destroys your ability to speak.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who's yours?
1: Oh, oh, wow. You know, I never thought about it. Uh... Wow, I got stuck.
2: (laughs)
0: Did I stump you? <laughs> yeah,
1: because I was thinking about authors. Mm-hmm. And then I moved on to comedians.
0: <laughs> and
1: I think that comedians. That, that, wow. I'm going to think about that.
0: Yeah, just, gonna... just name them all. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know.
1: Wow. I'll tell you what. Okay. At the end of the podcast, like after. Unless I come up with it as we talk, mm-hmm. then after we t- like I introduce you in the beginning and then uh, uh, I say thank you in the end and give uh, all the you know the links and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the podcast, since this is appearing like two weeks after we talk, okay, I'm pretty sure I'll have someone I'll say with it. Uh, okay. Cause... No, I'm used to. <laughs>
0: I feel bad for putting you on the spot now. Yeah.
1: I was like, there was um, there was a teacher like it, this doesn't count because I didn't know who she was, but there was a teacher like when I was studying theater uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: way 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 back. Um, there was uh, I saw there was a sign like uh, you know if you want you can come and see rehearsals mm-hmm. for this uh, from this director who apparently was really one of the best directors uh, in the country and she was so I walked into the room everyone looked at me because I was the only one who came who wasn't supposed to be there and she was sitting she was also an actor so she knew she was like at that time I was 20 she was 60 and she was sitting like this you know with all the gravitas of you know 40 years in the theater and she knows she's super smart, and super talented, and she, she, it was just frightening to, to mm-hmm. And I sat as far away as I could. Completely <laughs> frightening. And then she was like, 20 minutes later, this is the chutzpah I have, uh, she was saying something about a, a story by, uh see um, now, it was the perfect day for banana fish. Uh and she named wow the guy who wrote um the catcher in the right salinger yes a short story by salinger and um and she said the wrong story so little tiny me just popped up you know with the right name for the thing and she looked at me with you know death in the eyes and Uh uh-huh and but she accepted it because she was shocked that someone read the book, the, the the story, and you were talking about. But from that point on, she just made sure she quoted twenty million things she uh, uh, no one else knew. But <laughs> I came, I came to every rehearsal of her for like three or four uh, years, um, so I didn't know her ahead of time. She completely intimidated me, and I still had a big mouth. So,
2: uh,
1: but that doesn't count.
2: yes it does
1: (laughs) um no we have to move on I'll get stuck on that stuff. (laughs) let's so uh who else intimidated you at the time like if it was anyone else
0: Mm, intimidated me um I don't know like if I'm if I'm thinking about it I think there's always sort of like a a barrier, a little bit, like when you're meeting, you know, people that you admire, because um, you don't want to like mess it up, because first impressions are always like, you know, the big thing. Um, so I was always trying to sort of comport myself and being like, okay, don't jump up and down. Yeah. Um, you know, there there is a, a great story that I like to tell involving Neil Gaiman again, um, but it was before I actually had the the pleasure of meeting him in person. He was at a convention that I was working. And my youngest uh, daughter at the time, uh, we were big Doctor Who fans. So he had just written um, uh, one of the episodes that I absolutely loved, it made me cry. And so my daughter knew this about me and she's like, mom, but it's Neil Gaiman. And I'm like, no, but it's okay. Like he's busy and surrounded by people that he knows, right? And her like 10 year old self, complete with this Gallifrey t-shirt on, Mm -hmm. just marches up to Neil Gaiman. And she's like, you made my mom cry. (laughs) My mom is over there. And so the first, I have this picture that some, like one of my friends took and like, she's just standing there like this to him. And he's like, like super enamored with her. And he like complimented her shirt. And he's like, well, you know, I don't enjoy making mothers cry. And that was like the best sort of thing because, you know, it was my daughter and she was fearless and she walked right up to somebody. And I, and I, I wished, you know, to, to circle back to your question. Um, Like it was intimidating for me at that particular time, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't intimidating for her. Um, But I sort of, I sort of learned a bit from her, like just comport yourself, jump in the water, and see what happens you know if people are going to be mean to you then people are going to be mean to you and they're not worth your time anyway but if you don't say hello and you have the opportunity to say hello you'll be kicking yourself forever not to say hello so i say hello
1: that's that's, that's a lesson for life
0: <laughs> i think it's like one of the mantras that follows you everywhere like just do something you know if you if you have the means and you have the opportunity to do something like don't let fear stop you. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's kind of how I found myself in all of the things that I do, which is really funny, but yeah. What do you mean? So I think like if we can sort of shift gears and go to like the narration stuff a little bit, like that is actually a prime example of just jumping in head first and sort of saying, okay, well I do this now. Um, so one of my friends, um, we used to play um, World of Warcraft <laughs> and we used to communicate because everybody was all over the world um, okay. via a, like, a voice um, software and it was called TeamSpeak. And he was sharing the fact that he was a writer with me and I was like, oh, this is so awesome. So I realized that at that point that TeamSpeak had a recording function on it. So I recorded myself reading his story no. and I was like, should I send this? I don't know. I just wanted to send it because I was like, um, I don't know, it was just one of those things where I was like, hmm, I should send this, but I shouldn't because it's gonna seem like it's gonna be really weird, but you should send it. And like this, the, the, the side that was like, all right, let's just see what happens, one at that point. And I ended up sending it. He's like, you know, he's like, this isn't creepy at all. <laughs> um, but you should really be doing this full time. You should be a voice actor.
2: Wow.
0: And so I was like, Oh, That's interesting. Yeah. And so like, I, I, I told that story for a couple of, of, of times to the to, to various friends and Starship Sofa, who is based here in England, um, was looking for voice talent. And so I sent a sample over to Tony and he said, when can you start? Wow. And so I was, um, <laughs> so I started reading for Tony and then um, I think I asked Mary Robinette Kowal uh, because she was already established as a voice actress um, and a narrator. Um, some questions via email. We became, you know, uh, sort of pen friends. Um, and she was doing like Neil Clark over at Clark's World had just launched the podcast for Clark's Magazine, and she had a conflict and she couldn't get one of the uh, the podcast done. So she gave she she gave Neil my name as somebody who might be available. So I get this email from Neil Clark. I know who he, who he is in the, the, uh, the community mm-hmm. at that point. Sure. And the email comes in and he's like, can you turn around a podcast in 24 hours? And I knew I could do it. And I said, yes. And he said, how much would you charge? And I had no idea because I'd never asked for money before ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to like the Voice Actors Guild or whatever, the, the Writers Guild of America or SAG-AFTRA to see what like voiceover rates were. And I quoted him some unbelievable price <laughs> based on what I had gotten back. And uh, he's like, no, I, I can't do that. And I thought at that point that I just lost the job. Um, so I sat on it for like five whole minutes and I'm, I'm going, okay, what can I do? What can I do? And I just said, well, what can you do? And we came to an arrangement on what I was going to be paid for that. And uh, I turned the podcast in and that was the beginning of a nearly um, 11 years at this point journey with Neil. Yeah. So I ended up meeting him in person at LunaCon, which was a conference in New York City. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had lunch, Um, we hung around, we became like con buddies. And then I went up to Montreal um, and he took me to the Hugo ceremony where we got to sit behind Neil Gaiman and he like laughed at me the entire time. Um, <laughs> and then um, we were walking back to the, to the reception and he said, uh, I have a question for you. And I said, what? he's like, how would you like to be a part of the Clarksville staff? And I was like, so yeah. So I, I've been doing Clarksville podcasts ever since and it's been one heck of a journey. Like I'd never, you'd asked me 15 years ago, if I saw myself working in the science fiction arena or doing narrations for, for Neil or every other magazine that I've done for, um, mm-hmm. or done like poetry readings or talked mm-hmm. on panels at conventions or talking to somebody like yourself, um, never in a million years. But it was just because I took that one chance and sent a podcast to somebody that, you know, said i could do the job that is unbelievable
1: because just as easily that would have been stop stalking me and i know
0: i know don't don't ever contact me again (laughs) (laughs) i'm calling the police um but uh yeah how much how much
1: of a learning care did you have like you had the natural talent to do it but Mm -hmm. were you then like did you then say, oh, I did this badly, I'll improve this, I'll improve this. Yeah, I think
0: um, that was definitely one of the things that, you know, when I first started, I read very slowly. Um, I made a lot of mistakes. My equipment wasn't great. Um, If you listen to, like, the first couple of podcasts on Clark's World, you can tell, like, the mic is not that wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I've also done, um, again, I'm going to mention Mayor Abinette Koal, but uh, Mayor Abinette does a uh how to read your work aloud. And I took one of her workshops, learned a lot of stuff there. I listened to how other uh narrators um kind of do what they do. So I'm constantly trying to take in information to make things better. But yeah, it was a I've never I never done it before. Like I I enjoyed reading the stories. Um but you know I listened to listener feedback. Uh people write me all the time saying all right you know, if you did this, or can I make a suggestion here, or you pronounce that word incorrectly, which happens. It doesn't happen as frequently as it did mm-hmm. when I first started, um, but it definitely happens. But, um, you know, over the 15 years that I've been doing podcast narrations and stuff like that, um, I'm definitely a better reader. I can go, I think my record is 12 minutes and some seconds without making a mistake, which is kind of on the good side of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's sometimes hard, uh, especially if your brain is sort of not focused and you're reading. Um, you just continue to stumble over your own tongue. Yeah, they're uh, bad days, right? They're bad oh, days yeah, totally. All you do totally. Is these days. Yeah, yeah. And I find that like, if I record in the mornings after I've had breakfast, I'm, I'm much better in terms of not making the mistakes, but if I'm tired or if I had a long day and I'm trying to get through something and it's just a slog, I'm like consistently stumbling. And i realized that like the more stumbles that I make because I don't stop the recording, um, it takes me longer to edit. So anytime that I can record in the mornings, I will, um, unless I'm up against some other weird. And do
1: you edit your own stuff?
0: I do. Um, I've actually, I don't think I've ever worked with a studio But that was another sort of learning curve is I've used multiple different softwares uh, over the years. Um, I started on, I think, GarageBand on the Mac because I had an Apple product at that Mm -hmm. point. Um, And then I graduated to Logic, I want to say. And then I'm currently on a PC because my MacBook broke and I had to learn um, Adobe Audition, which I think I actually prefer. Oh, and I was using Pro Tools for a while as well, but seeing how those different user interfaces work on all across all of them. I mean, they all have similar yeah. type of, of mechanisms, but like trying to tweak it and coming up with your best sound and learning about like, when I first started this, I was locking myself in a closet, like surrounded with clothes <laughs> um, because that, that dampens all the sound around you. Um, but I came home one time after a trip and my brother had built me an actual TARDIS in the back in the in the basement of the house. Yeah. So it's this nice big blue door um, police call box. It has all of the, the sticker on it. Yeah. And it's nice and big and blue. And you know, people often ask me, you know, is it bigger on the inside? And I say, Well, it's it's kind of like a closet under the stairs via Harry Potter. But yes, it is totally bigger on the inside because I get to read. Uh, stories uh, that take me to, to different worlds and planets. Um, so that's my that's my uh, third grade answer that I tell all the kids.
1: <laughs> Interesting, and I have like one more technical question about. Yeah, you. yeah. Do you do emotions? Like, I mean, you know, the characters you read various stories and you mm-hmm. get to experience totally different kinds of emotions. Some are easy to do. Mm-hmm. Some are impossible to do. Uh, what do you do? Do you just like tell the story in the plain thing or do you try to actually inhabit those emotions for whenever they come?
0: Okay, so that is a really good question. And it's one actually that um has gotten me a little bit of into trouble with the narration community. I go into every reading absolutely cold. Yeah. I don't prepare. Um and when I said that on a podcast, I actually got a couple of people who wrote in to me and were like, How dare you? That is a disservice to all of the people that, you know, spent all that time like writing the story. And yet I don't have trouble with a well written story to dive into the emotion. Like there have been stories that I have read that have moved me to tears. Um, I can tell when a writer is, you know, In the midst of a happy occasion, and my voice lifts. You know, there's a smile in my voice, or you know, you can tell when I've been crying because my nose gets a little bit, you know, stuffy. Um, But yeah, there are there are certain ones that um, are extraordinarily hard to do. But I've never like I I think I'm a hyper emotional person person anyway, Um, and I'm I consider myself an empath, so I can usually take what is being given and sort of translate that into a into voice work.
1: It's interesting i can i, I can, i'll share with you something that by the way that director uh, taught me uh-huh. um, which is a completely different way of doing stuff i mm-hmm. find myself you know in my own path i'm doing a podcast a daily podcast about you know stuff that i write right i'm not an actor and i know that <laughs> well. so i find a hundred different technical things tricks i learned from basically she taught me the most uh technical stuff mm-hmm. uh and like one of the things she said do not pause uh at the end of the sentence mm-hmm. go on and you breathe and you stop and you have to breathe mm-hmm. and uh and the other thing is that uh, i you know i go with my own rhythm i than sometimes the rhythm of the story
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it is more authentic
0: yes absolutely
1: and, uh, and I know most people don't do that. So at the very least. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I, yeah,
0: you, you can get a feel for a story, right. When you're reading it. Um, and even oh, when you're that's writing for it. For sure. Yeah. yeah. The first time I
1: heard about it was, you know, awesome. Wells famously just went in and did the thing. Mm-hmm. It's so good. He did this, but after you're in the business for a while, you find the great, uh, first of all they are great actors who can do it no problem
2: mm-hmm.
1: it. and usually that's that's what ex, what's expected of you when you mm-hmm. actually read the story you yeah. don't come having pra- you don't kind of practice and read the whole thing through and then listen into the uh, right to the small things if mm-hmm. you read it correctly you mm-hmm. can voice it correctly like 99 percent of the time yeah. Sometimes you have to go back and you know, whoops, I got that wrong
0: <laughs> <laughs> So there's two anecdotes on that. So one is that um I remember going in cold to a reading and I had to re-record everything because there was no identifier of what the person was like who oh, the person wow. was. And so like 95% through a really long story, it was a she. And I had been reading it in a lower register, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> to that um but uh yeah no it's uh i had a second anecdote but i can't actually pull it because it's just now gone into the wind <laughs> um I, I
1: can tell you that uh, that is uh, i talked to a chancellor but it, it is in english you can say you and it doesn't say if it's male or female. you can say oh you, yeah you. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh and you can tell entire stories and then surprise someone at the end if it's a he or she or we never reveal it Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, many languages have a he or she for everything. Mm-hmm. And that makes it impossible to translate. Uh, and there's one incident that just, just happened in uh, an anthology uh, of books translated into Japanese, where the I have this on an earlier, I think it's the second or third episode of this uh, podcast, where um. The thing the translator wanted to know if it was it was a story told by a robot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And apparently in Japanese, the different and it was a surprise that it was told by a robot. And the, the like 17 ways of saying I. You know, mm. And each one means something slightly different. Like mm-hmm. in French, you have two and you have who. And it means mm-hmm. it's you, but it means it's slightly different. And that the fact that it was a robot presented a problem <laughs> and we don't know how the, uh, the translator solved it. Mm-hmm. How the translator said I without, uh, it's, it's strange. Mm.
0: I just remembered what the other anecdote was. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you had mentioned, you know, just like not stopping and just kind of going with the flow of the story. And I will tell you from experience that whenever I've second guessed myself, And I've recorded like, I, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes there'll be a line where I'll be like, oh no, I want to say it a little differently. Like after I've, I've read it because I just keep recording Um, nine times out of 10, it's the first one that I did that I go with, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: which I it's, it's, I, I I just find that kind of funny. Is that like, I think, you know, as artists, we tend to second guess ourselves when we tend to get it right. Um, And I was just—I was looking at the statistics of that. And I was like, "Wow, you know, maybe, maybe have a little bit more confidence in yourself, Kate."
1: <laughs> yeah. So okay, so let's return to your like uh, story overall. Right? yeah, yeah. So you you began walking uh, in the mm-hmm. And then uh, and, and you also started walking on uh, uh, doing some voice work.
2: Yes.
0: And
1: how like when did you feel at home?
0: I don't feel Sorry. at home at any point. You don't feel at home. Yeah. No, no. I think this is an extraordinary position to be in. But and I'm and I'm consistently grateful for it. But it's one of those things where everything changes so quickly. Like even in my short time with Cifla and with Clark's world, like we've made monumental you know, updates, we've evolved. Um, and I think, I don't think I will ever feel at home per se or comfortable because I think once you get comfortable in something, you kind of give up on learning new things and trying to evolve your own craft. Um, and I don't ever want to be comfortable. I, I always want to like the challenge. I want a challenge.
1: Do you oh, ever f- feel like uh, some of the uh, writers you, you've met you've changed something in one of their stories or books as a result of like something you said.
0: Yeah. So there's been a few of them actually, who've written to me after I've, you know, narrated one of their podcasts and we've released it and said, you know, I didn't think of, you know, the emotion that you, I think it was actually uh, Peter Watts. Um, It was like one of the first stories that I ever did for Neil over at Clark's world. And it was the things by Peter Watts. And it was, uh, if you're familiar with the horror movie the thing by john carpenter yeah. um he wrote from the perspective of the thing instead of uh all yeah. of the group that was originally involved in the story and in the movie and peter wrote to me after and he said and he like he couldn't stop talking about it. like every convention he was at uh, i met him shortly thereafter he's like you um you changed how i looked at my protagonist you made it sympathetic because he wrote it from a very sort of sterile alien voice. And he's like, you know, the amount of, of empathy that, you know, you sort of gave off while you were reading this, like completely changed how I looked at the story. Um, And I was like, very cool. But I've had experiences where um, the authors will come up to me and say, you know, I never thought that it was going to be like that. Like, you are now the voice in my head type of thing. And I'll, I'll sometimes get like writers who are out there who listen to the podcast, who will tweet something and then I'll say like, I'm writing my next story and all I can hear is Kate Baker's voice reading it in my head. And I'm just like, oh, um, which is kind of a surreal thing. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's been different and, and sort of fun and sort of terrifying at the same time um, to hear feedback like that. But the answer to your question is yes.
1: This thing so. <laughs> have you ever had the opposite thing happen? There was a I think I just saw uh, a YouTube with Stephen Fry, who's mm-hmm. a like, master almost everything, including voice work. And uh, he was the one doing the uh, Harry Potter um, mm-hmm. audiobooks. And like he started with number one, and someone said Harry pocketed it, pocketed it, and he couldn't mm-hmm. say it. I, just, mm-hmm. I failed to say it now. He said pocketed the. It, it,
0: it
2: oh
1: no and he couldn't get it right like he, mm-hmm. he really is a master of everything and he couldn't say pocketed it say,
0: mm-hmm.
1: wow it is hard pocketed, pocketed it pocketed it and so he called so he, he said oh let's get back to that and he kept on doing then he called uh jake and he said you know i'm having a problem with just this can i say put it in his pocket
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and she said no and then <laughs> and then uh he noticed that afterwards in every book he pocketed it returned in every single book that is a line in every book probably because of him
0: oh my because gosh no i mean i i think the only thing that i've there's some people who don't like the cadence of my voice like we've had uh neil has gotten some letters um more you know f- forgive the terminology but uh somebody said that I sex up the mic. I'm I'm still not sure exactly what that means. And I think- I just want to to say some of those comments
1: are probably (laughs) because-
0: And so I'm like, thanks. Um, But other, like the only other like really terrible, like it wasn't terrible criticism and I should have probably did a little bit, but like in the beginning of Clark's World, we have the story that took place in Ireland and I tried to do a Dublin accent and I failed completely. And I actually had some, you know, there was a um, an Irish, uh, I think a Dublin resident who was like, please don't ever do that again. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm very sorry, please forgive me. So uh, I will not be attempting a Dublin accent until I've had years of study um, and doing, you know, a proper one.
1: So what, what, did, like, what would you do if there was a story with someone who is, south african and german and french and -hmm. uh, irish and you know
0: yeah so i don't want like i i I don't want to ever misrepresent myself as somebody uh who doesn't you know who comes from those countries and i'm not um so the typical were uh the typical uh tip that most authors are unless you're like really well versed in it you've had feedback from people in different countries that you're 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 good at it. Uh, don't do it, and just do it in your straight voice, and try to try to put some delineation uh, within the emotion or the cadence of how you actually approach that character instead. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was some there was some issues with uh, another podcast where it was done in I think it was audio blackface is the term that they were using, um, mm-hmm. and I don't ever want to you know sort of tread that line um so yeah i will just do it in a regular accent um or my accent Mm -hmm. um, and then try to make some sort of delineation uh with the character instead
1: it's interesting so um my i I feel like the the thousand stories you could tell
0: uh... yeah (laughs) you you, do you have like five hours because i can just talk and talk
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's make this five episodes, like, to continue, uh, uh, I, I will be
0: continued.
1: I will be glad to have you back.
0: Uh, oh, thank you. This was really enjoyable.
1: For me, too. Uh, but I, I did want to end, like, on something. Like, how do you see... First of all, is there something you didn't... You want to say and you, uh, and you didn't cover? That's something? You...
0: The only thing else I think, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of this where I tend to jump into things that I'm not too sure about and see how it works... Um, I find myself sort of branching off a little bit, even more like I have become a writer, I've been published. Um, and I've like, within the last couple of years, I got into twitch.tv, which is a streaming platform and you can, you can do just chatting streams. Like I'll just talk to a camera like this and there'll be like live, you know, people talking back to me in the chat and play games um, I've met some really awesome people, but I think that is, it's interesting where you find yourself. And I particularly like, it seems like after every major life event that I have, I tend to like, just be like, all right, let's just do something new. And this came after, uh, on the heels of, you know, a major relationship breakup and the death of my dad. And I was trying to see, you know, how, how I could, how I could mourn, how I could, you know, deal with, a lot of the the things that came with that. And I found Twitch because they had a singing application and I love to sing. I've been singing since I was four. Um, And then it evolved into something like amazing and, you know, fantastic. Um, So yeah, it's just, I find as we sort of go through life, like just to hearken back to that thing, like, don't be afraid to sort of expand, you know? The worst that somebody can tell you is no, but what if they say yes, right? Yeah. So.
1: And you just revealed like something that I, I feel very bad, that you know, we, I need you back because uh, this happened <laughs> to me before. I talked to someone for an hour and then I found out, you, oh, you know, she's the best uh, Spanish author in, uh, in a about other stuff. I like said, best Spanish science fiction author. So, um, so just like, for a couple of minutes or a couple of lines or a couple of paragraphs or anything, what do you write? Where can we find that? Where can we find you on Twitch? And I'll talk to you again. Yes, please,
0: please. Let's, let's set something up, but you can find me at twitch.tv forward slash Catercakes, And that's K A T E R C A K E S. Uh, That's where I mainly hang out now. Um, But I'm on Twitter at Kate underscore Baker. Um, I've written, um, some short stories, uh, that you can find over at Cast of Wonders. Um, and there was like a literary one that was in Sybil's garage edited by Matthew Kressel. Um, I think that was actually my first paid story, uh, in the genre, which was great. And I'm, uh, putting in the finishing touches on a novel and, uh, already have agents asking. So
1: that is amazing. Yeah. Good luck. Keep your,
0: keep your fingers crossed if you believe yes. in that kind of superstition.
1: So- Next time, we're going to start with the writing.
0: Okay, perfect.
1: I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I, I would have, I, I would no, have it's.
0: That. I wear a lot of hats, and sometimes I don't even know which ones I'm wearing at the same time. So, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> Next time, bring your writing hat. And All right, we'll pipe, do. Smoking pipe. And, uh, <laughs> you know, thank you very, very much. Uh, it was so much fun talking to you, and uh, and we'll do this again. Yes, please do. Thank you so much for Kate Baker. As you see, there's so much more we didn't cover. I hope to have her on again. Uh, Kind of a repeat character returning in this quilt slash mosaic of ours. Ah, I promised something in the middle of the episode. Who could I meet that would bring me to the point of speechlessness or even better, complete gibberish? It's been almost a week since I talked to Kate and I have given this a lot of thought and I am not sure that the answer I'm going to give is me being completely honest with myself, but it's the only answer I have found searching within myself. So, There are a lot of people that I'm sure their presence would intimidate me. But I've learned over the years that after five minutes, everyone's a person, a human being. Everyone needs a drink. Everyone is insecure about something. Everyone started out as a baby. that didn't know anything. Everyone fell and, you know, wounded their knees. And hopefully, everyone will die frail and of old age. I think age, my age, has taken the gibberish out of me but I can't say for sure. I could be bullshitting myself. So if I ever act like that, (laughs) I'm reduced to gibberish. I will let you know, hopefully not in gibberish, but actually maybe in gibberish. (sighs) So if you want to find Kate Baker, you can find her on Twitter, where she is at Kate underscore Baker on Twitch, where she is at, www.twitch.tv slash catercakes. That's Kate, K-A-T-E-R. Cakes, like cakes, like the cakes you eat. And SFWA, if you want it, is sfwa.org. Next time, we'll talk to author Catherine Valenti. Stick around for that. It's a very empowering story. Give Them Empowers releases three episodes a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. That last one was a surprise. Email me for silly reasons at guy.hasson at geekdemimpouse.com. That's g y. dot H-A-S-O-N nerd at geekdemimpouse.com. The website is geekdemimpouse.com. On Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, we are at geekdemimpouse. And my name is Guy Hassan, as I've just said. And if you want to check out my other podcast, The Squash Buckler Diaries which is an experiment in epic fantasy, feel free to check it out. The Squash Buckler Diaries. I will see you next time. And for now, have an empowered day.